Understanding Insurers. This is Industry Focus Financials Edition. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is Monday, April 4th, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and I'm joined on the phone by Jordan Wathen. Before we do anything else, I am under very strict orders to deliver the following message. As some of you may have guessed, our Friday show was part of Fool.com's April Fool's Day joke. While we poked fun at private companies using crowdsourcing platforms for funding, these types of investments are different than stock and publicly traded companies and have some risks the average investor may not be aware of. We'll be doing a full show on it in the next few months. Love, Dylan Lewis. That last part was me, not him. <laughs> um, anyway, this week we're going to be covering insurance companies. We're going from basic to super weedsy, so I guess if you're bored by the first part, just fast forward. Um, you'll, you'll have a good time, no matter what, I promise. Uh, so, um, let's get into it. Everyone, everyone has insurance, or you ought to have insurance, especially if you have a car or are alive. Um, you, you ought to have insurance. Um, but do you know how insurance companies work? Do you know how to invest in insurance companies? This is what we're going to try and cover today. So, starting at the most basic unit of matter, as one would say in chemistry, what do insurance companies do, Jordan? So, the best way I've ever heard insurance companies explained is you can think of them like a group savings account where the money that you can take out isn't based on how much you put in, but how much you need because you've been unlucky in one way or another. That is, so, that is a really good explanation, actually. <laughs> yeah, I borrowed that from a book, and we'll talk about that later. But the way to think about it is money is pulled together from a bunch of people who all have risks of one type or another, health or life or you know car insurance. So as people need it for calamities, they can send a claim into their insurer, and the insurer will write them a check for it to cover their losses. Right. And as you kind of covered while you're talking, there's all different types of insurance, right? There's life insurance, which I think people know about, right? You die, kick the bucket, and the company pays out and it helps uh, cover funeral expenses or end of life expenses or whatever it is, provide a little bit of a, of a living for whatever survivors you leave behind. There's health insurance, which I think everyone is familiar with in the United States of America anyway. Um, auto insurance, uh, which you should definitely have if you, if you drive a car. Um, there's all sorts of things, but I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a lot of different other types of insurance companies that the average person isn't really going to deal with, and the one that springs to mind immediately is reinsurers. Right. Reinsurers are a special kind of category because they actually insure insurance companies. So when an insurance company doesn't want to take on the full loss of the premiums that they've written, they can pass it on to a reinsurer and mitigate some of their losses should, say, an extreme event occur, a big loss like a catastrophe or a hurricane, something like that sort. Absolutely. Um, there also are other types of insurers that kind of are like super like niche, I guess. Uh, so like um, maybe there's there's an insurance company called Markel. And if you go to their website, they have this whole list of things that they insure. And they insure everything from like your children's birthday party to blacksmith shops and boats and RVs and all that kind of normal stuff, too. It's, it's kind of crazy. They're all over the board. Right, right. The specialty insurers especially tend to make better investments in some of the more, I guess, common types of insurance because they tend to be, well, specialized, so there's fewer competitors. And Markel's a great case in investing in insurance companies because they've absolutely trumped every other, well, I wouldn't, shouldn't say every other, but they've trumped most insurance companies. And, not, and it's not just because they're great underwriting, they're also, they also have a spectacular investor, Tom Gaynor. Oh, so, okay, let's actually talk about that. So, insurance companies make 
their money in two different ways. I think the most intuitive way that most people would guess that insurance companies make their money is by paying out less in claims than they take in in premiums. I think that's pretty standard run-of-the-mill um, premiums, just in case you don't pay insurance for whatever reason. Maybe you're like 16 and don't pay insurance, but you do invest. Your premium is what you pay to the insurance company um, so that you are insured every month, and then claims are what the insurance company pays out to people. Right, absolutely. So, I think most people do assume that insurance companies make money from their underwriting, as in they make they generate more in premiums and they pay out in losses and expenses, but for the most part, that's absolutely not true. Most insurers are happy to break even on their underwriting and make their money by investing the premiums and keeping the investment returns, which yeah. Buffett calls float, for example. Yeah, and so this is, this is how insurance companies end up acting a little bit like banks. Right, yeah, they basically are banks, and most of them have you know huge balance sheets of assets that they've invested in with the premiums that they have received from their policyholders. Right, so when you look at an insurance company's balance sheet, there are a few metrics that you definitely need to look at to understand what's going on, and they're different than other companies' metrics, right? Because like, there's some things that you look at for any company that you're, that you're going to research, but for insurance companies, you need to look at the loss ratio, the expense ratio, and the combined ratio. Right. So, so let's break those down. So, the loss ratio is the percentage of premiums earned that are paid out in losses. So, if I get in a car accident today and do $1,000 of damage to my car, that would show up in the loss ratio because that's actual money paid out for losses. Then you have expenses, which are things like advertising or getting a claims adjuster to show up to look at my car. And that would go in the expenses. And then when you add those together, you get the combined ratio which is the percentage of money paid out in claims and expenses to run uh -huh. the insurance company as a percentage of premiums. As a percentage of premiums. So like it's the the loss ratio plus the expense ratio over premiums. So would you want a higher or a lower combined ratio because this tripped me up the first time that I tried to analyze an insurance company? <laughs> right, you definitely want a lower combined ratio. A lower combined ratio would be would mean that you have a fatter underwriting margin, meaning you're making more money on each dollar of premium that comes in. Right. And this is actually, I think, a really interesting topic. Um, I don't know if everyone thinks this is interesting, but actuarial tables are fascinating because they have these just these lists of risk factors and they can just, you know, run their line, their their fingers will cross the lines and figure out exactly how risky you are for any any given thing. So companies that are better at underwriting are gonna have better combined ratios. So this is how you check if a company is doing well on that side of their business, right? Just like the, the actual business of insurance. Right, exactly. So, uh, the key to running a great insurance company is pricing risk correctly. Um, it's very easy to grow premiums. It's very easy to grow revenue. All you have to do is write bad risk, right? All you have to do is insure something that should cost $100 for $50. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with being small and being very profitable at the, you know, the premiums you do right or yeah. the policies you do right. Again, just like banks with loans, except in this case, it's insurance. Right, exactly. Um, so, how would we evaluate whether or not a company is doing well on the investment side of their their business model? So, if you go to the financial statements and you look at the investments, I like to look at that especially because you can really find out how much risk they're taking. Um, one thing they'll always show is the percentage. Most, most insurers invest mostly in bonds, so you'll look and you can see by, for example, by credit rating, they'll show percentage of investments that are held in government securities, percentage that are held in AA 
corporate bonds. And that gives you a good idea of how risky an insurance company is. There, there was one very small insurer that was run by some very interesting people. And for a long time, it had a lot of its money invested in gold stocks and gold and silver, which if you think about it, is a pretty terrible way to run an insurance <laughs> balance sheet. Because if at the same time gold goes down, a huge hurricane comes through, you're in a world of hurt. That is really interesting. I, huh. So gold is a whole another issue we could do right. an entire podcast on. Um, there, there are some. There are definitely some gold bugs out there. I think one of my colleagues called them the other day, um, which is crazy because ever since uh, uh, what's his name, William Jennings Bryan, I hadn't realized that this was like still a thing that people were so obsessed with. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So if you ever have some survivalists run your uh, insurance company, you might want to double think it. That, that, that's one of the biggest risks, but. It, for the most part, I mean, most major insurance companies are pretty plain vanilla in how they invest their money. It's, say, 95% fixed income or bonds and 5% stocks, and they don't take too much, you know, they're not interested in taking too much risk on that because they know a lot of the money they take in in premiums will have to be paid out in losses and expenses relatively soon. Yeah. Okay. So, here's the thing, right, is that we're doing an episode about something that a lot of people think is super boring. So, I asked Jordan Wathen to come up with some fun facts about insurers, so I think it might be time, after talking about some very boring bonds, to, to come up with a fun fact. You want to go for it? So yeah, we, we can go with some fun facts. So <laughs> way back in the day, and actually, first I should give a shout out to this book, which is called Invisible Bankers, actually. It was interesting that we talked about insurance companies being like banks. But the book's called Invisible Bankers. I would highly recommend you read it. And you can get it on Amazon for all of a dollar, so it's worth checking out. But one of the one of the fun, few of the fun things they had in there was one about in the heyday of air travel, um, insurance companies made a fortune selling life insurance to air travelers, and and uh, they basically pitched it as this huge risk that it was, you know, getting on a plane was basically you know taking a huge risk with your life. But all the same time, while they're selling pe- travelers life insurance on the plane, they're they're underwriting pilots at the standard rate. So basically, they're telling travelers that traveling is so dangerous, but the people who fly for a living, well, they're just standard risks. That is super sneaky. Um, again, <laughs> why maybe people think that uh, people who work in financial services are are villains. Um, take note in case you want to change your perception, insurance companies. Um, right. No, that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so talking about risk, a lot of people um, when they think about insurance, they think about like kind of this like stodgy, sweaty accountant with giant glasses who are a little bit nervous and constantly writing things down. They, they kind of think of insurance as pretty much the opposite of risk, but insurance companies actually have some very interesting risks that other companies might not face necessarily. So, what kind of risks risks are there when you invest in an insurance company? So, there's a lot of risks you wouldn't think about. Um, this year, a big one with property and casualty insurers, more specifically car insurers, is that people are driving more because gas prices are low. And because of that, they're getting in much more accidents. And actually, the cost with each accident has been going up this year, too. Geico reported, which obviously is a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway, they reported that the severity of claims, so how much they pay out, is going up, as well as the frequency, because people are driving more. Huh. See, and that's something that you wouldn't think about, like, right, the price of oil dropping, what does that have to do anything with insurance? But if you're an auto insurer, it's kind of a big deal. And if you're a health insurer that's insured all these people that are in accidents, it's kind of a big deal. Right, exactly. And it, I would have never, you know, it's not something that when you look at a car insurance company, you think, oh, man, I better worry about the price of oil. But the lower it goes, the more people tend to drive. And it makes sense. 
Yeah. Um, another one that people don't really think about, um, because I think most people don't think about reinsurance, which is, again, those insurance companies that insure insurers, uh, is natural disasters. Um, so, I think, I want to say, was it 2014? Was that the year of the tsunami? I can't remember. There was a year that there was a ton of natural disasters, and there were a few reinsurers that just went out of business. They just like couldn't handle the claims. Right, exactly. And it, it goes so deep, too. So, you could go and look. There's a small insurance company based out of Massachusetts, Safety Insurance, that for years has had a just absolutely stellar underwriting record. They do great in car and home insurance, but then they had something like seven or eight feet of snowfall in Boston. And what can you do? You know, there's nothing you can do about it. It's just bad luck. Mm -hmm. But for an insurer, bad luck isn't a very good thing. No, and they do the best they can to mitigate these risks with, with actuaries, but especially when you are gambling on something like good weather. That's that's when you, you kind of have to assess what your risk tolerance is, as hilarious as it is to say, for insurers. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's not fun, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that's not my job, because <laughs> at the end of the day, weathermen can't predict the weather 10 days out, predicting it a year out or 10 years out. I, I can only imagine the difficulty in doing that. Yeah, so, so let's talk a little bit about risks that are more common, I guess, across different companies. So, um, for insurers, insurers can do can go one of two paths, right? They can either choose to specialize in one thing, right? Like maybe auto and like RV and boat insurance, just like modes of transportation, or um, they could choose to specialize in a lot of different things. Is Are there advantages or disadvantages to either of these? Well, I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both. So, if you think about a very specialized insurer, so going back to safety, for instance, the danger with them is that most of their premiums are written in, the, in New England. So, if it snows in New England, you know, that's just a bad year for them. If they have a lot of snowfall, they have a lot of losses. So, there's geographic risk there. On the other hand, if it doesn't snow or, you know, winter is very mild, then it's a great year and they're just partying hard like it's 1999, right? Because <laughs> no, no, one's, no one's getting in car accidents, beautiful weather, it's fantastic. They're just printing money. And then, to some extent, being more diversified can be kind of, it, it can be good, obviously, because different, you know, one risk won't put you under, won't put an insurance company under. But in the same token, it's very hard to get the incentives right when you have multiple lines of insurance under one business. Right. So, right. if you think about it, so let's say there's a company that has a property, say a car insurance company and a health insurance company together, and you have executives leading the whole, you know, they lead both sides of it. Well, how are you going to compensate them for underwriting performance at one when they're only responsible, you know, how are you going to compensate them for underwriting performance at the car insurance unit when they're only responsible for the health and life unit, for instance? Right. So, this actually leads me into my next question, which is, is it better to, to buy stock in a standalone insurance company or in one of these, like, mega financial institutions that do a little bit of everything, like AIG, for example? That's a million dollar question. <laughs> uh, if you're going to put me on the spot, I, I personally would prefer to just invest in a pure insurance company because if you're taking the insurance risk, I just want the insurance risk, right? Right. Um, I don't, you know, if you look at the really big insurance companies out there, most of them, especially AIG, hasn't done particularly well recently. It's just because I think personally it's very hard to run a company where you're taking so many different risks and truly understand it. Yeah, I think that. Um, so I don't know if 
y'all know about this, but Carl Icahn, am I pronouncing his last name right? I think I've only ever read his name. I don't think I've ever heard his name. I think you're getting it right. Yeah. Um, he is kind of like this activist investor type person, except he's just one person instead of like a group of people. Um, and he's taken an interest in AIG. And he really wants AIG to split up its divisions. And partially, that's a good idea because that way it'll it'll dip underneath the systematically or sorry systemically important financial institution line um, but he says also that it makes business sense for them like they'll 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 make way more money as a separate set of businesses as opposed to this like conglomeration that they have now mm-hmm. and, and I wonder if to some extent I kind of wonder if he might just be a little upset at management personally uh, because they he finally does. have a CEO who really doesn't have any industry background and I think it really concerns a lot of investors for for good reason. You know, if if you want a good insurance company executive, you really want someone who's familiar with underwriting and familiar with risks, so that when they see, you know, here's what we're ask, actually risking this year, they actually truthfully understand the number. Yeah, that's that's another thing that, of course, just like any other company, right? Insurers also have management that you have to kind of look into. Um, it's really interesting because I feel like with a lot of the technology companies or consumer goods companies, they have these like super dynamic CEOs and you know a lot about them, but like with insurance companies and banks and BDCs, there's not really ever a ton of information on on managers. It's just kind of like, oh, they went to Harvard and graduated in 89 and Right, they studied engineering, they went to Harvard and then they became a financial industry executive. Yeah. I just wrote 95% of insurance or financial people's background. Yeah, they, yeah, and it's like kind of like I don't know whether or not I should trust this guy and in order to do that you just look at the uh, their track record. Um the other thing I really like to do is read conference call transcripts because I think that you can get a sense of whether or not people are being honest and forthright mm-hmm. via what they say. Um I know that's like kind of like a, a nebulous thing to quantify, right? It's just a gut feeling like whether or not you trust these people. But right. besides track record, that's all you can really do. Right. Progressive Progressive usually has a really clear conference call and they're very plain and open about what they're looking for. They'll they'll straight up say we're shooting for this, you know, underwriting margin and we think we can grow by doing this, for example. That's something they've done recently is targeted a lower or a higher combined ratio rather, getting back to how that's confusing. A higher combined <laughs> ratio, but also growing the top line. So, you know, and over time you'll see, you know, especially with property and casualty, car insurance, things like that, you can Figure out really quickly if they're a good company at underwriting or not, because those policies, you know, expire within within a year. So either you nailed it or you didn't. Yeah, I think it might be time for another fun fact. Another fun fact. Yeah. All right. Let's throw out. Let's go back to the gold rush, right? Apparently, mining for gold is a very, very dangerous industry, because back in the day they charged you four times the standard rate if you happened to be one of the crazies that went out to San Francisco to mine for gold. Huh. I wonder if there's like a modern day equivalent of that. Like, who would that be? Like, oh, okay. I I dated this guy for a while who's really into um, that Discovery Channel show about deep sea fishing. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if those people have higher insurance premiums. Well, that's actually a fun one. So they did. There's been a few studies about that, and actually, one of just say the general population, people who are riskier, actually are clergy members, which is really fascinating. What? Really? They think it might be because maybe you just run a red light because, you know, your faith will save you. I don't know. You know, that who knows? But yeah, that's actually a thing is that clergy members are typically higher risk than, say, your standard office worker. That is so interesting. I wouldn't think that that's like a profession that puts you in the line of fire. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, it seems like a, a profession where you know life just goes on and you live to be a hundred, based on all my experiences with church. So <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I've been at some churches with some very, very, very old nuns. Um, yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Anyway, um, I think that I've like kind of covered everything that I want to know about insurance. Do you have any anything else you'd like to talk about, Jordan? Any favorite? Uh, if you had to invest in an insurance company right now, which one would you pick? Uh, probably Progressive. Or I would just go the easy route and take Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this year wasn't too great for Geico and their other insurers, but if it history serves, you'll do quite well. And their training evaluation, it's very cheap on a historical basis. So it's one that very, it's very interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if I had to choose one, I would go back to that kind of weird specialty insurer, Markel, just because I'm so fascinated by their business model. And they've done a great job underwriting the risks for all the like very very odd things i would love it if i could like call the whoever is in charge of that at markel and be like how do you how do you even go about figuring out the risk for um i don't know parasailers i don't i just very right exactly so no here's a fun one so which is more dangerous do you think do you think it's carnival rides or amusement park rides I want to say amusement park rides because i feel like people are there's a lot of scrutiny on carnivals like they seem like they're a little bit shiftier you know, see, I was thinking they're shiftier so they're not as safe, but you're actually right. Amusement rides are less safe because they don't disassemble them and put them back together every day, which oh. wouldn't think about that, but that's just something you only learn by riding that insurance and losing money on it and then finally figuring out that, hey, amusement <laughs> park rides aren't good bets anymore. See, yeah, I would have guessed, I definitely would have guessed it would have been, I would have guessed it would have been amusement park rides because I thought that people are just generally suspicious of carnival workers, which is like a terrible stereotype, I guess. I'm sure there are plenty of very nice carnival workers out there. I don't know. I guess I'm just buying into what mainstream media tells us about carnival workers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think that brings us to the end of our show, unless you have anything else you want to say. Uh, nope, I think that's it. Great, awesome. Um, if y'all have any questions, definitely write in to us, uh, especially since Jordan and I talked about stocks that we would invest in. I would like to remind our listeners that, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear, especially today. Um, contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Um, if you have any questions or to let us know who your favorite insurer is, Thanks very much for joining us, and I hope you all have a great week. 